What you have just read is the climactic moment that came when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Now, I have three brothers, and, and if they're watching, hello, guys. Uh, but just know that this, this is one of my favorite stories, first of all, and it is, it is the moment that, that you know that the story is building up to. I don't know about you, but my mom used to read these stories to me on a Sabbath afternoon or maybe as a bedtime story, and, and <laughs> we would be waiting for this moment. Some of you know this story, some of you don't. I, I cannot take the time this morning exactly to, to go over the whole thing, but just be it known to you that this guy, Joseph, was the favorite child. And you know what happens in a family when there's a favorite child? There's problems. And if you were that favorite child, you're going, yeah, but I liked being the favorite child. And if you're not that favorite child, you're going, yeah, I know what it's like not to be the favorite child. Okay, so I was the, I, no, I wasn't the favorite child. I was just the firstborn. And uh, I suffered uh, the consequences of being the firstborn. My parents learned on me. Amen. So any other firstborns out there that want to say, my parents learned on me too. Okay, so yes. <laughs> By the time my next brother came along 18 months later, they, they had learned a few things and, and, and there wasn't as, as much pain in, in his life. <laughs> then, then there was seven-year gap and... Two more brothers, 13 months apart, and uh, they had nannies. Their names were Mike and Miles. You know? So at nine years of age, I was changing nappies. Diapers, to those of you who grew up with pampers. Uh, we grew up with pampers too, but they were only for traveling. The rest of the time, it was cloth diapers, which had two layers. Come on now. Two layers and then a plastic on the outside. So that's why the kids kind of walked like this, you know, because they had this wad of cloth between their legs, you know, poor guys. But then it was poor me after they did their duty in, in, in their, their nappy. It was off to the toilet with that thing where you, you know, did your thing and brought it back and put it in the, in the bin and then you had to put the next one on and... Let's just say I was a good brother and tried not to poke my brothers with the pins. I, I, I tried. I tried. There were a few times when they were squealing and, you know, we'd love them better and that would be fine. But this is what must have gone on when, when Joseph was coming up, except that he was the firstborn of the favorite wife. Now, this gets even more complicated. So as we go back in the story, we find out that, that Jacob, his dad, had married two daughters of his uncle. Yep, he married his cousins, first cousins. This was legal. In fact, it was desirable because his mom and dad had decided when his older brother had gotten mad with him for the fact that Jacob had stolen the special blessing that was supposed to go to his older brother by a few minutes, because remember, they were twins. 
They were fraternal twins, meaning they were not identical. Uh, one was hairy and one was smooth-skinned, the Bible says. Jacob was that latter person. He came out second. But there was this prophecy that came to mom that said, the older will serve the younger. And when it came time for the blessing to be given out, she wanted to make sure because, you see, jo J Jacob was her favorite. See how things get complicated with this whole favorite thing? Young parents, beware. Treat your children equally. It's much better that way. She goes and tells him, look, your dad is about to bless Esau. He has sent him out to find his favorite food, which was goat, wild goat. Why don't you go to your flock, kill a goat, skin it, wear the skins so that you are hairy, put on one of Esau's smelly, as in B.O., smelly robes, and go in, make your voice a little more husky and manly, and tell your father that you are Esau. Okay, but let's go back one more generation. Uh, 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 where, did, where, did Jacob, where did Jacob come from? Where, where, did, where did Isaac come from? Isaac comes from, from Abraham and Sarah, but we remember that he had an older brother, half-brother. What was his half-brother's name? Ishmael. What was his half-brother's mother's name? Hagar. What, what, what happened to them? They got sent away. And you were thinking that I was just making it up that we have problems in our families today. Well, my friends, if we go back from Joseph's story, from this moment where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, when we go backwards in the generations from that story, we realize that there has been trouble in that family for generations. And these are the people that we quote. These are the people that are in, in, in the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter that we call the faith chapter. The hall of fame for the faithful people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And now the son of Jacob, the favorite son of Jacob, Joseph, because his mother was the one that Jacob first fell in love with and scheming old Laban, Rachel's dad, Jacob's uncle, his mother's brother, said, okay, you can have her if you work for me for seven years. Then you can get married. <gasps> the day came. They get married. He takes her to the bedchamber. They become man and wife. And, you know, they've had lots of good food and good drink. And he wakes up in the morning and he, he rolls over and... <laughs> it's not Rachel. It's Leah, her sister. How did this happen? He busts out of there and he goes and he confronts Laban and Laban gives this weak, weak 
excuse. Oh, we have this custom. The older one has to marry before the younger one. Don't be mad. Don't be mad. Just finish out the week of celebration and then you can marry Leah. Uh, but you have to work for me for another seven years. He'd already had seven. He wanted another seven because the Lord blessed what Jacob did. Remember when he was running from his brother? What did God say to him? God said to him, I will be with you. This is after he has just cheated his brother out of the birthright blessing in a way that his mother had planned. And the God of heaven and earth says to him, I'm going to be with you anyway. And the evidence of that is that anything that Jacob touched turned to more sheep and to more goats. And so when Laban uh, made this deal, he said to him, look, uh, 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 all the spotted ones and all the striped ones, you can have those. See, they were not as, 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 as nice to have. They were not as high on the market. But God, God tells Jacob a way in which he should bring the sheep to the watering trough and that that is where they would mate and that, that they would mate and they would not produce just regular straight up lambs and, and goats without any spots and stripes. A lot of them would have spots and stripes. So this whole DNA, this whole, whole animal husbandry thing happened between God and Jacob and he became a very wealthy man. God blessed him Anyway, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know about you, but my, my family, we've not always had it exactly the way that we wanted it. Stuff has happened. And, and, and when you go to God and you say, God, what on earth is going on? Why is this happening to me? I want to direct your attention back to the children's story. Thank you very much. Perfect. Was it baking soda? Do you, do you use baking? I've heard that there are people who you know, have a little baking soda when their stomach is acidic and it kind of takes it away. It's a good thing. But you don't, you, know, you don't go to the cupboard and pull out the baking soda and eat it by the teaspoonful, do you? No, but when you mix it in the right proportions, it becomes a cupcake. And we all love cupcakes. So God, God does this thing with the events in our life, with, this, with, with, with the, the, the doings of what happens in our lives. He does this thing and, and he mixes it together and there is an effect. And the song goes, he makes beautiful things out of dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. I, I, like, I like this moment in, in Joseph's story because likely they did not recognize him because he was now looking very much like an Egyptian. The pictures that you have seen, uh, the hieroglyphs that you have seen uh, are true. Yeah, the guys wore makeup. Okay, so you probably had a guy who, who was completely shaven bald. Maybe, maybe he had a beard. Maybe not, but he probably had eyeshadow on and he was probably uh, uh, bare from the, the, the waist up and he was wearing a long flowing linen. What is linen made of? Flax. Flax. 
So cotton makes cotton. It's a biodegradable substance. Flax is another thing, grass that grows. You know, so those new bamboo pillows that some people are buying. This is nothing new that we would make fabric out of grass. Okay, so here he is wearing probably a well-pressed linen skirt with a, a long tassel in the front with maybe some bead, beautiful bead work. He probably looks good, you know, he's in good shape. He looks like the monarch that he has become because what does Pharaoh say to him? You will be above me only when I am sitting on my throne. Otherwise, when we're in a chariot together, we're equals. So it wasn't a, a, a misstatement that you just read in the scriptures when Joseph says to his brothers that he has been made Lord of all Egypt. That's no lie. Because that's exactly what Pharaoh did to Moses. But let's back up. Let's back up. Because the fact is that today we're talking about the fact that God knows. God knows. Okay? God knows about Abraham and Sarah. God knows that Sarah says, look, take my slave girl, my Egyptian slave girl, have a child with her, and we will call that child our child, which legally was possible, and that will be the child of promise. Okay, and then in the next generation, you have Isaac and Rebekah, and they have Esau and Jacob, and Rebekah works things so that she is sure to get what she is supposed to get, which is that Jacob will be the top person in the family, not Esau. She's been told. The prophecy said the older will serve the younger, and so she makes sure that this is going to happen. Do you see a pattern developing here? It has nothing to do with the fact that it's both the ladies that initiate these things. But it has to do with the fact that these couples, these couples that we hear about in the Bible, who are put up there as paragons of faith, take matters into their own hands. Let's just, let's just say it doesn't, it doesn't go well. Jacob marries both Rachel and her older sister Leah, this is, this is your, your Sabbath afternoon activity, if you would like. Go to Genesis and look at the names of Leah's five boys and one girl. What was the only girl that was born to Jacob? What's her name? Dinah, don't you go. Dinah, don't you go. Dinah, okay, or Dina. Five sons Leah gives to Jacob. Your, your quest, should you take it up, is to find out what the meanings of each of the names of those five sons are and look at the story that Leah tells with the names that she gives to her five sons. It, it, it is pathetic. It's horrible. It's sad. 
And this is, this is in the family of the patriarch Jacob, who after, remember the story, he fights with the angel, and the angel cripples him, and then changes his name, and says, your name is no longer going to be Jacob, it's going to be Israel, father of a great nation. And then there is a great nation that happens to him. By the way, quick little question. How many sons did Ishmael have? Twelve. Thank you, Garland. Isn't that just interesting? Because we always think about the twelve sons of Israel. We think about the twelve gates into the new Jerusalem that each have a tribal name over the top. The twelve tribes of Israel. Yes, yes, yes. But this is now two generations after Ishmael. Who went to Abraham's funeral? Ishmael and Isaac buried their father. Remember, the Bible, the Bible covers a lot of time span and it also covers a lot of history in which we don't get all the details, but I'm telling you, the details we do get are important. They're very important. And so lest we, we put so much emphasis on the Israelites, let's understand too that there was a, a branch of the, of, of the family of Abraham that also had. 12. And we know that when we study the number 12 in the Bible, it always refers to the people of God. If you don't believe me, just add that to your list for this afternoon before you come to the, the next exciting episode of our family get, get, getting together, which is called tonight. Oh, what? You can't tell me you've forgotten. The progressive dinner tonight. I want Birker and Inga's house to be so full that they will never do... No. We are so glad that you are going to come tonight. Please do. It's going to be so much fun. It really is a lot of fun. And I really want to know where the turkeys are coming from this year. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now in this moment, Joseph where everything is hanging in the balance. Again, not time to read it all this morning, but you have a situation where you find these individuals, these, these brothers of, of Joseph, coming to Israel, come, excuse me, coming to Egypt, because the famine has reached Israel too. They're not growing anything up there, and so they have come down, not once, but now twice. Remember the little twist, the little, little uh, mind bender that Joseph played on his brothers? Anyone? Which brother did he keep? No, no. Because they didn't bring Benjamin the first time. They kept Simeon. Why? Because it was Simeon who said, let's sell him into slavery. Okay, and Levi joined in too. Judah was going to set him free. Excuse me, Reuben was going to set him free. The older brother was going to set him free, but he went off to town, and when he came back, they'd already done the deal. With who? Who did they sell him to? 
The, what did you say? The sons of Abraham's first relationship with Hagar? The Ish, oh, they're cousins. Yeah. The brothers sell their brother Joseph to their distant cousins, the Ishmaelite traders who were going from Canaan down to Egypt with things to sell and barter. I don't know if this, if this colors the picture for you just a little bit more, but this is the moment. This is the moment that he is going to now reveal himself, and this is the moment when he says, God did this. You just played a role. Brothers are absolutely stunned. They are stunned. You see, Joseph has said no to abandoning his father's God. He has, he has said no to Potiphar's wife's uh, invitation to, to have a, a little dalliance with her. He has said yes to God's leadership. He has said yes to God's wisdom and his knowledge. And so he blesses, he blesses Potiphar's household when he gets to jail. It's the special jail for the prisoners of the king. And he is put in charge after a few months because it's obvious that everything that he does is blessed by God. The jailer sits back. He's having a great life now because Joseph is taking care of everything. And everybody's happy, including his cellmates who tell him their dreams. Do you remember? It was the dreams that made his brother his brothers angry. Okay, I know this is quiz time this morning, but what was the first dream that Joseph had that his brothers didn't like? Not even his dad liked it? Jesus. Yeah, they were harvest time and everybody had their own sheaf of grain. You know, that's how they used to harvest. They didn't have combine harvesters. They, had, they would put the sheaves of grain and they would tie them up. And all of the brothers and the dad's sheaf was bowing to Joseph's sheaf. He's, he's around the fire. Imagine the guys are sitting around the fire. It's late at night and they're telling stories. And Joseph said, you know, I had a dream. When they hear this dream, it's like salt in a wound. They cannot believe the gall of this youngster. Sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him. And his star never happened. What do they call him when they see him coming from Dothan that day with a lunch basket that had been sent by father who was wanting to, to find out how the boys were doing? They knew he was coming to spy on them. That's what little brothers do, right? Come on, you big, big older children. You know that this is what little brothers do. They spy on the the younger ones, or the older ones, whatever the ones that aren't the favored ones, they spy on them. So they said, here comes the dreamer. Let's see what becomes of his dreams now. And they throw him in the pit. And then they sell him. He said no to Potiphar's wife. He said yes to God's leadership. 
He said yes to being a dreamer. He never stopped dreaming. And the God who knows kept talking to him, and he was able to interpret the dreams of these two men. One, it was a very sad ending, and the other was elevated back to his position. But he forgot. He forgot to tell the king. He forgot to tell Pharaoh about Joseph's situation until Pharaoh had a dream. And then he remembered how his dream had been interpreted and he brings Joseph to see the king. And Joseph is able to interpret his dreams and says, it is going to be well for Pharaoh to choose someone to get Egypt ready for the seven years of famine. Again, not enough time today to read the whole story, but get to the end of the story, my friends. Get to the end because you realize that when Joseph is talking to his brothers in this situation, the entire land and the livestock and the people are now owned, the Bible says, body and soul. They have literally sold themselves to Pharaoh to get food that Joseph had told him he needed to store up for these very times. Body and soul, every last person in Egypt owed their lives to Joseph. The brothers too, because of course they had brought their wealth, they had bought grain, and then had been so mystified the first time when they took the grain sacks down, opened the grain sacks, and found their money inside. Can you imagine? I mean, I think Joseph had an incredible time just really messing with them. Now he's not messing. Now he is, he is, he is going to reveal himself. He's going to reveal himself and he's going to say, I am Joseph. You just played a role. God knew that this is what needed to happen and I said yes. And so here I am. God knew. You don't have to be upset. Notice his very, his very second statement. Is my father still alive? No, they didn't have Twitter. No, there was no Facebook in order to figure out how dad was doing back in Israel. Back in Canaan, Israel himself was still doing well and he was upset that the second time around he had to send his son Benjamin, son number two of the favored wife, he had to send Benjamin along, otherwise he was not going to get any food. He fought and fought and fought this. But finally, the brothers were able to say, look, I'm going to give my life for this man if he is detained. So you, you, you notice that there has been a huge change in the attitude of the brothers. 
They didn't know what had happened to Joseph. They just sold him into slavery and then ripped up his coat and dipped it in goat blood. Sorry for, jo- for Jacob, he didn't have a DNA test for the blood. He couldn't say that this was not Joseph's blood. It just looked like blood. Yes, Dad, it's terrible. All we found was this coat of many colors. And then they watched their father shrivel, shrivel up in pain from the loss of his son. And when it came time for Benjamin to go, they said, no, we are not going to do this to our father. Finally, he said, we're out of food. You better take Benjamin. So when Joseph is doing this thing, when he is revealing himself, Benjamin is in the room. His own blood brother, not his half-brother, his full brother. The only one he had. And the Bible says he fell, I love the King James, he fell upon their necks. Now I don't know whether you like hugging. I watched a documentary recently that says that people in Japan pay other people just to hold their hand. There's a real problem in that culture with touching even between husband and wife. Not a problem on this day. Joseph says, I am Joseph. God does this. And he falls on each one of his brothers. He grabs them all and he hugs them. And I don't know about you, but if I had been those brothers and I had been living all of these years with the guilt of knowing that I had lied to my father and I have been watching my father just shrivel up with anguish and, 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 and pain from having lost his favorite son. What relief it must have been for them. Mixed with a huge, huge dose of terror. OMG, this is the Lord of Egypt, and he's my brother that I sold into slavery? Oh, this is not going to be good. <sighs> yeah, yeah, love you. Love you, Joseph. Love you, Joseph. What's he got behind his back? Love you, Joseph. Hey, hey, hey. Amazing, amazing time that these guys have. And Joseph, Joseph says, God knew. God knew. So how does this, how does this, this story impact us today? Because I, I want you to know that I often think about the word that we've chosen in our, in our mission statement, that we would love for what we do as a congregation to be transformational. As a result of reviewing this story today, it is my hope and my prayer that there will be a change in all of our lives and that we will realize several things about our God. Number one, He gives us the power of choice. Joseph chose 
differently than his brothers. And we see that in the story. That we see the results of those choices. Number two, Joseph chose to trust God when he did not know what was going to happen. In the reading of the story, in the Bible stories, I see a picture right now in my mind of Joseph on the back of a camel with his hands tied to the pommel of the saddle and he is being taken to Egypt. And just over there, Ellen White illuminates this, just over there are his father's tents. This is his home. He is going within sight of his home and he is now a slave, having been sold into slavery by his brothers. And at that moment, he makes a decision that he is going to trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his father. My friends, we, we can make the same decision. We can make the same decision and we can trust a God who knows. Third thing that, that he does is that he depends. He depends on this God. As a result of that, even when he is sold to Potiphar and has to work hard as a slave, he does so in an honorable way, depending on the God of his father. This is noted and he is elevated to the place where he is in the house. And of course, this is where he gets tempted to take it all. So remember, what does he say to Mrs. Potiphar when Mrs. Potiphar is seducing him? Potiphar has given me everything in this house except you. He didn't give you to me. I don't, have, I don't have a right to do this. Don't ask me to do this. It's not my right. He honors the God of his fathers by depending on the leadership of God in his life. And in return, in the jail, the same thing. He earns, he earns the trust of the jailer by following and depending upon the God of his fathers. And the God of his fathers uses him to interpret the dreams of his fellow prisoners and then ultimately to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh himself. So if we could just let this idea percolate in our minds a little bit today, I'm hoping that it has a transformative effect on us, that we can know that the God who knows gives us choice. The God who knows gives us the ability to trust him. He gives us opportunities to trust him. And the God who knows really, really, really would love it if we would honor him with our trust and dependence on him. I want you to know, in my current understanding of Sabbath, that that is why I keep Sabbath. Sabbath is a reminder every week that everything we are and everything we have comes from the hand of God. 
And that's what he says in his little reminder in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it. Six days you've got a chance to try and depend on yourself. But on the seventh day, I want you to stop trying to take care of yourself. I want you to let me. I want to remind you that really, 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 I'm the one who's taking care of you. All the time. Remember what Jesus, God sends the rain and he sends the sunshine on everyone. This was the whole point. This is the point of Sabbath. And by the way, it's why I will always keep the seventh day because this was initiated at creation by my God, the God who knows, the God who has been from ever and ever in the past and is to ever and ever in the future, the God of eternity, the God of infinity, this same God made me Amen. on the sixth day and he made the Sabbath on the seventh day. And he said, I'm going to give the Sabbath to you as a blessing to remind you that I've got you. I've got you. So when we come here and we put our offering in the plate and we sing our praises from our lungs and, 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 and we love on each other in his presence, what are we doing? We're basically saying, thank you for giving us life. We depend on you. My friends, this, this piece, when you think about it, is going to become more and more and more important. Things are happening. I cannot let this moment pass without telling you that I am sad to report that individuals that I have had respect for in the Christian world are now instructing their vast congregations not to pay attention to the Old Testament. That the Ten Commandments don't apply to Christians. That we only have one commandment. I really can't follow the logic. And I wish that this individual would also go back to the word. And remember that it was Jesus who said, these are they that speak of me. It's becoming more and more and more important to know the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth, the creator God. It's becoming more and more important to know that he knows. He has always known. Hmm. So there's the phrase, while there's hope, there's opportunity. While there's life, there's hope. And while there's hope, there's opportunity, I think, to be curious. Do you think that God wants us to be curious? Do you think he wants us to ask why? Yes. I think he does. Don't you want to know a little more about this God who created us in his image? Who created us to be able to know? Because you see, this is, this is the problem that many people have, right? They don't want to believe anything that they cannot understand. 
And they're basically saying, if I can't understand it, then pff, it doesn't exist. Well, it is, it's a leap of faith. It is. No lie. It's a leap of faith to say, I believe in a God who knows. And I trust him. I choose to trust him. And I choose to depend on him. Even when times are not understandable, times are happening when, when things are happening that I don't like, that I don't understand. That's, that's, the, that's the bicarbonate, that, that, that's the soda, that's the arm and hammer right there, okay? You get a little taste of that, it's like, ugh, You know, when the sugar comes or the egg, you, you can eat that, but when life does things to you that you don't understand, I'm hoping that you will remember today and that you'll remember that if you depend on the God who knows, that in the end, he will present you with a cupcake. Uh, no, a crown. Uh, really? Yeah, a crown. But I hope there's a cupcake too. He's promised us a feast, you know. Piece of cake. He, he, he says it's going to be a piece of cake. That's right. He says it's going to be a piece of cake, this life. But that usually means that it's going to be easy. Just ask the bakers. Baking is not easy. It's got to be precise. It's got to be right. Otherwise, the cake is going to fall flat. We have a God we can depend on. We have a God we can choose to trust. He created us, I believe, to want to know. Because when we know, then we copy him and we want to create See how that goes? It's very important. God knows. The question I'm going to leave you with today is, what do you know about the God who knows? Amen.